Hi, Park Community Church family. Uh, my name is Noah Chung, and I'm an associate pastor here at the Near South Region at Bridgeport and South Loop. And if you've been with us for the past few months, we've been going through a sermon series titled Your Kingdom Come, a study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. You know, we first started with the Beatitudes, where Jesus laid out the kingdom ethic of what all Christ followers are called to embody. But now Jesus starts getting a little bit more practical on how the kingdom ethic is to be carried out. So we've talked about marriage and last week about loving our enemies. And this week, we approach the topic of giving to the needy. Now, I'm at, now when I mention giving, I know that for some of you, you're tempted to turn off that video right now. But can I ask that you stay with me for these next 30 minutes? Giving money and our possessions is a tough topic, especially in light of everything going on uh, during this season. But giving and generosity is such an important character of being a Christian and that we in the church need to talk about more honestly and honestly more, more frequently. Over 15% of Jesus' words in the gospel talk about money and possessions, which is more than prayer and faith combined. So I ask, just stay with me. We're in Matthew chapter 6 now, in verse 1 through 4. Let me read and then pray, and then we'll jump right in. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me pray. God, we thank you for, again, uh, a time to listen to your word. I pray that for all of us uh, at South Loop Bridgeport, those who are joining us online, that we may be open to hearing and receiving what you have to say about giving. God, it's a tough topic, but I pray that we may be first and quick to listen to what you have to say in your word. May you allow your words to preach, not my words. I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, today is 7-11, or July 11th, uh, and my wife and I are celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary, our five-year wedding anniversary. So after I'm done here, I'm going to go safely dine outside somewhere and celebrate our time away from our two kiddos. You know, we love our kids, but sometimes you just need a break. You know, but like many anniversaries, what we do is that we usually kind of take a walk down memory lane. For us, it's when Sophia and I met first at Fisher Dorm in Wheaton College. Let me just show you a picture of us and our first picture together with a group of friends. You know, we were just friends for our, our first year, but then in year two, there was some uh, chemistry going on, you know what I mean? But you know, anytime you, you like someone, you don't want to come off too strong or too desperate, right? So what do I do? I make up every reason or excuse to spend time with her. So I say, hey, some of us are going to lunch uh, at the dining hall. Do you want to come with us? And then when we go there, I make sure I put my tray right next to her tray. Or, hey, I got to go run. I want to stay in shape, you know. Do you want to come too? Or I got to study. Want to go to the library together? Or, hey, I I'll wait for you so we can walk back to our dorm together because, you know, it's, it's dark outside. Now, was my motivation here to just exercise or to just study or to just be a good Christian gentleman? Uh, no, it was not. I'll be honest. My motivation 
was simple. Maybe if I spend enough time with this cute girl, hopefully she's going to like me in return. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. I know that some of you have done it too, okay? And by God's amazing grace and a whole handful of events later, we started dating, and uh, this is our first date that you'll see in this picture here. And now, 12 years later, five years of marriage and two kids, we are here. I guess my tactics worked, right? Well, Sophia would actually say that we got together despite my tactics. But, but the reason I share this story and, and, and kind of share my experience is that when we look at our external actions, especially the good things that we do or even the religious things we do, the question is, what truly motivates us to do them? That's why in, in verse 1 of our text, which serves as the overall theme for verses 2 through 18, Jesus uses such strong language saying, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In other words, beware of your motivations. For unlike us, God sees our hearts and the reason why we do what we do. Our motivation reveals the true nature of our hearts. So the main question I want to center our time around today is this. What motivates you to give to the needy? What motivates you to give to the needy? And to clarify, when I say giving to the needy, in our text, it's actually the same word that we get for charity, our almsgiving. But as one scholar puts it, giving to the needy was any good deed intended to serve others in need. So I know that for some of us, we just think it's financial, but it goes beyond that. It includes items and resources, relationships, work, time, etc. In addition, there are also many ways we can give to the needy. We can give to them directly. We can give to organizations around the city, around the country that, that give to the needy. Or we can also give to the church, which serves the needy in the church and also in their local context as well. So keep in mind, Giving to the needy is not just limited to money. So for today, I'm going to walk through three motivations that we can have towards giving. The first two, I believe, are incorrect that we see in this text, but there's one that I believe Jesus is pushing and challenging us to have. So let's start. Motivation number one, we only give when we want to or when we feel like it. We only give when we want to or when we feel like it. Look with me now in verse 2 of our text. Jesus says, so when you give to the needy. Notice the key distinction here. He's, he, he doesn't say if you give. He says when you give. Jesus is being very clear that for any follower of Christ, the expectation is that giving to the needy is not a matter of if, but a matter of when you do it. You see, in Jesus' time here, remember, he's in a Jewish culture, a Jewish context, the Jewish people practice tithing, but they tithe in three different categories. And you'll see on the screen here, the first tithe was the temple tithe, which would go directly to the synagogue and to the priest. The second tithe would go directly to the sacred festivals or the community gatherings they had. And then the last, the third tithe, would go directly to the poor or orphans or widows or those in need. So giving to the needy was already a practice that all his listeners who were Jewish were doing. Texts like Deuteronomy 15.10 says and reminds them of this. It says, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart, 
Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Giving wasn't dependent on how much they had or if they wanted to or if they felt like it. It was practiced out of an obedience to God's command. It was a discipline. You know, sadly, I I can't say the same about the current context that we are in in the American church. There's much research about this, but in in 2018, research research showed that Christian tithers or givers only made up about 10 to 25% of any congregation, or that on average, Christians gave only 2.5% of their income in church, or families that made over $75,000 a year only 1% of those families donated a tenth of their income. And then when you look at Christians who give to other nonprofit organizations or to those in need, those percentages aren't much different and sometimes even lower. Now, this isn't specifically on park, you know, we, but we can't ignore that the general trend or the temptation in America or in the American church is to base our motivation of giving more on our current circumstances and wants rather than on God's command. Many of us, including myself, have probably said this or thought this. We say, I'll start giving when, when I'm out of this debt or finish paying off my student loans. Or I'll start giving when after my wedding or after I furnish my home. Or I'll start giving when I get that new promotion or that new job. Or, or I'll start giving when I've saved enough or when I think the timing is right. Now, don't get me wrong here. Let me be clear. Don't get me wrong. There are definitely situations and circumstances when you clearly cannot give. Many of you, because of COVID-19, have lost jobs, been furloughed, lost hours, and more. And some of you are just trying to make the week. And as a leader and as a pastor, can I just say, I'm so sorry that you are going through that. We are here for you as a church during the season. And as I mentioned throughout the season, as we mentioned throughout the season, if any of you are in need of help, financial, food, care, or prayer, please reach out to us, to to Pastor Rafe or Pastor Kenson or any of our deacons. We would love to be there for you. But the majority of us, the majority of us, if we followed our money trail, opened up our bank records, our credit card statements, or even looked at our possessions, Who would we see the trail going towards? Whose kingdom are we building? Because if we go back to verse 1 of our text, Jesus is specifically addressing practicing our righteousness. And the first example he gives of righteousness is giving to the needy. Giving to the needy is just as much a part of our Christian ethic or characteristics as prayer is, as love is, as mercy, as sexual purity, as good works to our neighbors. Giving to the needy is essential to our Christian faith. And let me go a little bit deeper here, and maybe even a bit controversial here. You know, uh, the other day I was listening to an interview with Pastor Charlie Dates, uh, an African-American pastor in Bronzeville neighbor, in the Bronzeville neighborhood, and he was asked this question by the interviewer. He was asked, with everything going on around us today, is racism the greatest sin of America's history? And surprisingly, he said, maybe. He continued that more than our horrific treatment and the vision of others, he sees the deeper sin of our nation and in our history and present 
our history and our pre present motivation is of greed and of power. It's our motivation of greed and power. Because of greed, we justify the annihilation of indigenous peoples. Because of greed, we justify the exploitation and evil of, African, of bringing in Africans for slavery. Because of greed, we justify policies that barred immigrants away or that built segregated housing in schools to protect the money and power held in particular neighborhoods. Because of greed, we justify a system in our country where 1% of our entire nation has more wealth than the entire bottom 90% of that nation, and that gap continues to grow in our country today. Now, there are definitely other reasons for these historic and present realities, but sometimes we fail to see that there is a deep-rooted motivation of greed that is an under, that's underlying the evil and wicked practices that we see today. But for us individually, what I want to ask you or to ask ourselves is, is our motivation to give being seized by our motivation to take? Is our motivation to give being seized by our motivation to take and to keep? The reality for many of our hearts, and, and I'll put myself at the front of the line here, is that our giving is more motivated by our greed, our selfishness, our comfort, our materialism, our safety, than our obedience and worship to God or to even love our neighbor as ourselves. How many times do we choose our Netflix subscription or our uninterrupted schedules over giving our resources, our money, and time to those in need in our neighborhood and in our city? Now, my, my goal here is, is not to just lay and lay the guilt on top of all of us. My goal for all of us is to see how inward and wicked our motivations towards our own resources can be and how that can snowball and to how we justify our treatment and apathy towards others who may not look like us or make as much as us or live like us without zero sacrifice or generosity. God, help us. God, please help us. There is so much in our text, in our holy scriptures about greed, about giving, about generosity, about giving to the needy. And I can't cover it all here, but please look to the prophets, look to Jesus, look to Paul. Much of what they talk about is about giving to the needy. But let's move on here. What's the second motivation? The second motivation is we only give because we want to be seen by others. We only give because we want to be seen by others. So if you go back to our text in verse 2, it says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, now in Jesus' time here, there, there have been a few records when a literal trumpet would be blown in the temple, where one by one people would come up front and they would give towards, uh, give their offerings. And they would give, particularly in this box called the Tzedakah box. And you'll see a picture of it here. It's made out of metal, um, and it literally means charity box, which all of the proceeds would go to the needy and to those who are poor. But some givers, especially the Pharisees, what they would do is they would make sure to dump a ton of coins into this box to make as much noise as possible. It's like, the, it's like the sound of winning the jackpot in a coin game or at Chuck E. Cheese or at Dave & Buster's and a flood of coins starts dropping in front of you and everyone around you hears this clink, 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 and everyone looks around and they see, wow, look, this person just won the jackpot. But for 
he, us, in this text here, we have to picture when everyone is turning to the Pharisees or those who are giving and dropping all these coins in this box, they're looking, wow, look how generous that person is. Look how generous to the poor they are. But Jesus knows their hidden motivation here. They know exactly what's going on here. And he knows that they're just doing this to receive the praise of others, or in other translations, the honor and the glory of others. It wasn't out of the kindness of their heart or their obedience to God and his word. It was out of their own self-ambition and self-glorification. That's why Jesus calls them hypocrites, which comes from this theater term that describes someone who intentionally deceives the world to get false praise and applause. Jesus also says of these same people in John 12, 43, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Church, let me ask you this. When do you blow your own trumpet? Or when do you feel like you should? Now, let me just give you an example from my own life. You know, for the past few months, many of us have felt the needs being expressed all around our city and our nation, calls for justice amidst racism and injustices, calls for financial aid and health care amidst COVID-19 and all its effects, calls for peace and unity amidst division, hatred, and even violence. There is so much need that it's overwhelming. But like many of you, as a follower of Christ, who cares about the needs around us, I wanted to give towards those needs. But, but can I be honest with you here for a second? Do you know what I feel the tension in? I feel like I have to show to others as a Christian, especially as a pastor, that I am doing enough. I feel this, this pressure to let people know that I'm not ignorant, that I'm not selfish, that I care for the plight of those who are suffering and those who are in need. When I, go, when I give to a GoFundMe page for a Korean immigrant store that got looted, I am tempted to make my name known and to share it on Facebook. When I give to Chicago Deliverers and other organizations giving groceries to those in need, I'm tempted to kind of raise my virtue flag and say, hey, I did my part. Or when I go to a march, a protest, a prayer vigil, or volunteer in, a, in an area or an under-resourced community, I'm tempted to capture my experience on my Insta story to share that, hey, I'm a Christian too that cares for justice. Look at how I'm giving my time and energy, even in this incredible heat. And I can list dozens of other examples. But deep inside me, there is this temptation to only want to give so that I look good before others. I want to be noticed. I want to be thought well of. I want everyone turning their heads because they hear all those coins going clink, 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 and say, look how generous Noah is. Don't you? So as I prepared this week, I honestly had to repent. God, forgive me of my improper motivation of giving. Forgive me for wanting glory to myself and stealing the glory that always belongs to you. Now, I'm not trying to, again, condemn social media posts or the publicity of good works, but what I am saying is what Jesus is saying. Be careful. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And today, it's so easy to do that with social media. Before every word, every picture, every click of good you do, ask yourself, am I sharing this for myself or am I sharing this for God and his glory? Which leads me to my last motivation, which I believe is the one that Jesus wants us to have. Motivation number three, we only give to be seen and rewarded by the Father. 
We only give to be seen and rewarded by the Father. Let's read verses 3 to 4 again. It reads, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, now in Jewish culture, the right hand was primarily the active hand used for everyday tasks. So in a sense, Jesus was saying to, to not let other people know of your giving, but in another sense, Jesus was also saying, don't let yourself tell yourself what you are doing. Let your giving be that anonymous. You know, he's not saying that we should be writing blank checks or without any discernment here. We should always give wisely. But what Jesus is saying is that we shouldn't keep looking back at our giving highlights. We shouldn't look back and say, oh, look at all the zeros. Look at how many people I've given to. Instead, we are to give with self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. As Craig Bloomberg, a scholar, says, the positive alternative Jesus commands is that we should give in such a way that there is no temptation for others to glorify the giver rather than God. Because the heart of giving to the needy is in response to who God is and what he has given to us. And what has he given to us? Church, God from the beginning of time has given each one of us breath in our lungs. That first moment we let our first cry in our mother's womb. He has given us homes, family, food, this church, and so much more. But is it all perfect? By no means. Sin has wrecked and tainted all that we have here on earth and in our hearts. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with, with one another is broken. We fight, we talk, we show evil to one another. Our society is broken. The way we treat our environment, the way we treat other people, the way we idolize certain things like sex, money, status, it's all broken. But do you know what God gave to redeem and restore the brokenness, the great need of humanity? He gave himself. Even more than that, he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave his life so that our hearts, full of sin, full of brokenness, full of so much need, could be healed. But not only our hearts, but the gospel restoration and transformation will begin to reverberate into our homes, into our relationships, our jobs, our neighborhoods, and cities, and in our world. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, Everything good now has been given to us for us who are in Christ, and everything that's broken has been given a promise that it will be redeemed fully one day. So then he calls us in response to give of our lives for his mission, which includes giving to the needy. So when we give our time, our money, our efforts to others in need, it's not that we own these things or these things come from us. We are only stewards of what God has generously given us to steward. You know, how ridiculous would it be if your parents gave you some money to go out with your friends and on the way you see a person in need and so you give that person some, some money, some resources. So afterwards, as you're hanging out with your friends, your friends go, wow, you are such a generous person and you're just basking in their praises. At that moment, should you be credited with, should you be credited with generosity? Uh, uh, yeah, of course you should be. But that money wasn't yours to, 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 to give 
it, it was your parents' money. You didn't earn it. You were just stewarding that money that belonged to your parents. Instead, you should credit your parents who gave you the opportunity to be generous because without them, you wouldn't have anything to begin with. In the same way, we can only give out of what we have already been given to us by God himself. This is why we give, not to be noticed, but to reflect God's generosity and the gift God has given to us so that God would always give the glory. Church, are you okay with the fact that every gift and hour you give to the needy will not be noticed by others, but instead will always point to the greatness of our God? That's a hard question. That's a challenging question for all of us, for me even. This is the heart motivation Jesus is calling all of us to have, a secret heart of generosity. And then as I kind of finish up this passage here, verse 4, we see that if we give in secret, God promises he will reward you. Now, now what's this reward? It's probably both spiritual and eternal. But I believe John Stott, a a well-known pastor from England, describes this reward in a more holistic way. And you see it on your screen. He says, What then is the reward which the Heavenly Father gives the secret giver? It is neither public nor necessarily future. It is probably the only reward which genuine love wants when making a gift to the needy, namely to see the need relieved. When through his or her gifts the hungry are fed, the naked clothed, the sick healed, the oppressed freed, and the lost saved, the love which prompted the gift is satisfied. Such love, which is God's sown love expressed through man, brings with it its own secret joys and desires no other reward. And he continues, To sum up, our Christian giving is to be neither before men, waiting for the clapping to begin, nor even before ourselves, our left hand applauding our right hand generosity, but before God, who sees our secret heart and rewards us with the discovery that, as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Church, we give with an audience of one so that we can experience the joy of being the giver. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to take just a a, a pause and a sidestep here in a moment to say a word on behalf of the leaders and pastors of our church. To all of you who have been faithfully giving, many giving in secret, thank you. Thank you so much for your generosity. At South Loop and Bridgeport, we know that there are many who are going over and beyond giving to the church, giving to those in need, and giving to other places around the world even, to those in need. You've paid for the rent of those who lost their jobs. You've brought groceries and basic necessities for others. You cared for college students stuck with canceled classes. You've given care packages and gifts to senior citizens, students, and teachers. You've given food to the hungry and homeless, and so, so much more. No matter the amount, it's your heart of sacrifice that we are so thankful for and that we take great joy in. There is so much happening in the church that we as leaders don't even know what's happening. But God be praised because God sees all of your efforts, all of your resources that you are giving to the needy. Church, keep it up, right? Just keep it up. And as I just want to kind of now finish up the sermon here, I want to wrap up with just two challenges. And there's a challenge for two particular groups here. The first group are for those who aren't giving. Can I just challenge you? 
Start small and start now. If you are waiting for your life to get in order, trust me, if you don't start small now, even if you are a millionaire later on, you still won't start giving. It's a discipline. Giving is a discipline. It's a muscle that has to be worked into the spiritual muscles of our heart. Remember the story of the widow's might? It's not about the amount you give here. It's about the heart and sacrifice and intentionality that God sees in secret. And to be honest, the best place to start is in the local church. Because the church is meant to be the corporate body that is sent out to give, to serve, and to invest in the lives of the needs in our church body, but also in their local context. They are the ones, as a church, we should be the, the ones that know best what is needed in our communities. Start small, start locally, start with the people and communities you can actually invest not just your resources in, but your time, your relationships, your energy in, because that way you know who you are giving towards. And for the second group here, for those who are faithfully giving to the needy already, I'm going to say continue to do that. Don't grow weary in giving to the needy. But my additional challenge to you is to also give your life, to give your life. For some of us, giving money is actually easy. We give to the church, we give to organization, we give to those in need, done. Check is signed. But what is more costly for some of us is that when we reflect upon Jesus' life here is that he gave his very life to the needy, to us. And honestly, he calls us to do the same. When we live and serve among those who are not like us, when we sacrifice our comfort in our homes for the sake of the poor and outcasts, when we die to ourselves so that others can know the joy of Christ, and even then, that is what Jesus wants us to do. And even when we do that, he's saying, don't share it, but keep it in secret. Give your lives in secret so that God will see your giving in secret and will rewards you. Let me just close with this. You know, um, in Washington, D.C., or next to Washington, D.C., there is the Arlington National Cemetery. And it's and one of the most iconic monuments or memorials there is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. You know, in this massive memorial with Greek figures representing peace and victory and valor, this monument represents the many unidentified soldiers who were killed in battle during World War I, World War II, and the Korean War. And though only a few actual remains uh, exist in the tomb, this monument, it symbolizes the sacrifices of all Americans who served in these wars. To this day, we actually do not know the names of these soldiers, yet they are honored and remembered by their bravery, their commitment, and their sacrifice. And inscribed on the monument, it says this, Here rests an honored glory, an American soldier known but to God. Known but to God. That is my prayer for my life, for your life, that your life on earth, though the world won't know your name, the world won't know every single penny, every single hour, every single ounce of energy you gave to the needy, it will be only known but to God. And then, when it's all over, our Father will say to each one of us, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Let me pray. God, we are so thankful for all that you have given to us. We are so thankful that you have called us to be people who um, 
are to give. Because, God, you are the greatest gift giver, and we want to reflect the beauty and the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray for all of us right now. I pray particularly for those right now who feel the burden of un the inability to give because circumstances have kind of just um, caved in around them. And I pray, God, I pray that we as a church may step in and serve and love and help them, and that they may be honestly coming forward to us asking for help. And also for those for many of us who are called to give, I pray that we may not neglect this call that you have given for our lives, that we may be generous people, that the world looking into the church may not see how, um, how religious we are, but may see how generous we are with our time, with our resources, and with all that we have, God. May it all be for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church, thank you so much for um, listening and worshiping with us. We are so excited that in the future we can be seeing, um, of course, with safe masks and social distancing, that we can be with each other physically. But before we go, let me uh, give the benediction for our time. Go now in the secrecy of generosity, in the name of the Father, and in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go now, church, in peace. You are loved. Thanks.